The year was 1983. President Ronald Reagan proposed the Star Wars Initiative. Mario Brothers was just released in arcades. Rent was $330 a month. A Ford Mustang cost $6,500. A gallon of gas was $0.96. Cents, and you could buy a brand new Timex Sinclair color computer for just $179.99. It was fall in Chicago, October 13. The setting was Soldier Field, the stadium that the NFL Chicago Bears had just started playing at in 1971. 14 cars were lined up for a very unusual race, the race to make the first commercial cell phone call ever in the history of the world. One man won that race, and he placed a call from Soldier Field in Chicago to the granddaughter of Alexander Graham Bell in Germany. This is his story, along with the story of the engineer who helped make it all happen. What would it be like to be the very first person in the entire world to use a new technology that would end up utterly revolutionizing everything? Hello and welcome to Tech First. My name is John Katsir. Today is a super special day for Tech First. We're literally going to speak to the first person who ever made a cellular phone call. The very first cell customer in the world it was a car phone, of course, and he still has that phone, by the way. We're also going to chat with an engineer who helped build and commercialize that very first cell phone service. Joining us are David Malon, the very first cellular customer, and Stuart Tartarone, who grew up taking phones apart and eventually built and launched AT&T's global first cell phone service. Welcome, David. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here as well. Thank you guys so much. I got to say the average age of tech first guests just rose a little bit. Um, <laughs> well, but, well, you see, yeah, we, we don't want to talk about that, but I guess it must have. My friend, you were building cell networks in the 1970s, so you're yes. not 25 anymore, uh, but I guess not. Maybe not. <laughs> David, I want to start with you. How did this come about? What happened? Did you, did you see an ad in a paper? Did somebody talk to you? How did you, how did you learn about this opportunity? Well, it all started with the theft of a car, my car stolen. And, uh, for business, I had a radio telephone, a good old fashioned radio telephone, which is very expensive to buy and very expensive to uh, pay for minutes, uh, and not the easiest thing in the world to use, but it was extremely efficient, all things considered. So my car got stolen in the, uh, uh 1983 and I bought a new car. I immediately wanted to get a phone cause I, I, I really missed it. So I went in to uh, purchase one and they said, we can do one of two things. You can do a radio phone again, or you can get what's called a cellular phone, which I had, I had never heard the word before actually. And that's a brand new system that's going to be coming up and they're hoping to put it on line, uh, in the next three months. So this is the middle of the summer of 83. So I made the decision that I'd rather be more on the cutting edge than on the back end of, a, of an old system. So I said, uh, I will do that. And they said, well, they install the equipment. It'll sit in your car for three months and then we'll turn the system on. And I said, well, we'll see if it happens in three months, knowing what normally happens. Uh, unbelievably, within about a month or two, they called and said, how would you like to participate in the kickoff of the cellular system? We happen to be the first place that this is going to be kicked off for the nation. And I jumped at it because it sounded like a lot of fun. He said, we're going to have it at Soldier Field. 
which is perfect because I lived in Burnham Harbor on a boat in Chicago, which they share the same parking lot with Soldier Field. Nice. So I could literally walk to the event, so to speak. So anyway, so on, on the day of the uh, uh, event, um, it, it just so happened that it was my birthday, October 13th. So that, that gave me like a, a doubly blessed day. Wow. Yeah, the result was that, that uh, uh, they ended up having a race to, with, I believe it was 14 cars, in order to kick off the first cell phone, official cell phone call. The, um, the race had the 14 cars lined up side by side. And they also had the technicians, each technician that actually um, installed the equipment in each person's car was lined up to run a 50 yard dash. <laughs> when they ran the 50 yard dash, they had to get the keys from the owner of the car, unlock the trunk and put in the final chip that I'm calling it a chip. I'm probably mislabeling it, that, uh, activated the system. And the, though it was a cell phone, it wasn't like a cell phone of today. It was a big box, just like a radio telephone in the trunk of your car that powered a, uh, you know, a, a, I kept calling it a princess phone, but a little phone in the, uh, in the, in the car. Yeah. So my, um, my technician lines up and he says, Dave, I've got some bad news and some good news. What's the bad news? The bad news was I'm going to be the last guy in the car. He was in his mid thirties. So he's an old man for technicians and all the rest were young 20 year olds. And he said, but I'm going to have the chip in first. I'll be the first one to install it. And then he held up the chip and it, I believe Stu's going to correct me probably. Uh, I believe that it had about 20 prongs on it and they were about three quarters inch each. He said, they are going to bend them and they're going to make it impossible to get, get it efficient. Was this a SIM card? The very first SIM card? Um, it, it was, uh, and it was, wow. cool. it was cool. The number of cyber module. But as David said, a lot bigger. Your hands. How big was this? Oh, cut so big. I mean, not not huge, but not like a SIM card today. Now we have well, micro SIMs and we have eSIMs, yeah. which yes. have right. no. Free <laughs> Back to you, David. Did he win the race, okay. or did you win the race? <laughs> so anyway, so uh, as he said, he was the last guy to the car, and he was the first guy to get this this in, get this plugged in. They had to give the keys all the, they had to give the keys to the owner of the car. The owner had to unlock their car door, get in, start their car, make the phone call. He gave me a great piece of advice. Jeff told me, when you get in the car and you start the car, just sit there and look at the phone because it's going to light up like a Christmas tree. So once all the lights stop flashing, make your call and don't do it before, or you will trip the system up. It'll have to reset itself. So I listened to him, did exactly what he said. And, uh, and call made it to what was a head car that was, uh, bridged across the, the other 14 cars. Uh, that's where the first phone call went. And then from there, it was forwarded to Alexander Graham Bell's, I believe it was his granddaughter in Germany. Wow. So that was the official, technically the official first call for commercial cell. So, so David, I have to ask a question. You, you talked about having a radio phone. I have no idea what that means. I mean, I understand the concept. It was perhaps a phone system that went over radio waves, perhaps to some central switching station that then interfaces with the landline system. But what is a radio phone? I, I think, you know, again, Stu's going to know more than me, but, but uh, it was literally uh, radio waves going to, a, I think, a central. There were operators involved in it. And uh, it's so long ago that it's hard to exactly remember it. 
but they converted it basically to the land to a land system. Wow. Stuart, what is a radio phone? So basically long before cellular, probably dating back to the 1940s, there was mobile phone service and there was a a transmitter in people's cars in the trunk, a handset, big handset, uh, and device in the, uh, passenger compartment. And as, as David said, it operated almost like broadcast TV or radio. There was one big antenna, you know, in metropolitan areas that broadcast over the entire area. But the big deal about it is that there are only 10 or 12 channels. So think about metropolitan areas like Chicago. And after 10 or 12 polls were made, the system exhausted. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. So would they, David, if you tried to make a call on your radio telephone before you had the cellular call, before you had the cellular phone, then, you know, would it sometimes just fail because the channel was occupied or would you talk over somebody like a party line? Well, it, it probably had some of the characteristics of a party line um, from the standpoint that, that, uh, it had limited use, but it wasn't so limited that it was uh, a frustration. You just, you lived with the, the way the system you understood, uh, worked, you understood it and it, it really worked fine. So I want to stick with you, David. We're going to go to Stuart in a moment and talk about the technology, the process, building the project, coming up with it, all that stuff. But David, did you have a sense at this point that you were doing something that was world changing, that was revolutionary, that would literally culminate in what we have these days, these tiny little devices in our hand, doesn't have to be in a trunk of a car. Did you have that sense? Not at all. I had a sense that, that, I mean, it's just amazing what has happened because my sense back then was here's the newfangled phone system. Technology go back then. Now technology moves on with the speed of light. So we'll see how long, how long cell phones last. And, and one of my thoughts was, my gosh, they're going to physically put towers, dot the United States in towers, and that's how we're going to talk to each other. So it was a, it was a little unusual that I thought compared to satellite technology, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm not no expert. I said, it seems like you should use satellites, but I understood there's a, a, a whole lo- another layer of difficulty there. But so I just thought it was going to be another method of telephones and in 10 years we'll be using something different. Really interesting. You you took the first step on the moon and it was just the next day for you. <laughs> That's quite yeah. cool, actually. Um, yeah. It's interesting right now. Uh, actually, uh, there's a lot of people who are trying to do cell phone service, quote unquote, cell phone service via satellite. So maybe that is the next step, but it's like 50 years later. Stuart, let's turn to you. Um, you grew up taking phones apart. You're the, the typical tinkerer. How does this work? Take it apart. Your parents must have loved you. Um, especially for that, but you became an engineer and you started work on this project. What did you think about it when you first heard about it? Well, you know, going back to what you said, uh, yeah, I I did take phones apart, except you weren't supposed to do that. And because, you know, it was back to the old bell system where, where everything was controlled by the bell system and, and by the local telephone companies. And I fully expected, I went to an engineering school in, in Brooklyn, close to where I grew up in Queens. It's now part of NYU. It's called, it was called the Polytechnic Institute of Brooklyn. And, uh, in those days, you know, recruiters came to campus 
and, uh, and the bell system would always show up with a recruiter from the local telephone company, New York telephone from Western electric, which was our manufacturing wing and from bell laboratories, which was later to become AT&T bell laboratories, which was our technology, our R and D organization. And I fully was expecting to talk to someone from New York telephone because as a New Yorker, I didn't expect I was going to move out to New Jersey. But lo and behold, I was only given the opportunity to speak to someone from Bell Apps. And afterwards, I was sort of unhappy about that and, and spoke to my advisor who said words to me that uh, many people of my generation heard. And those words were, if you are given the privilege and you use the privilege of working at Bell Apps, you have no choice but to accept Wow. So I said, whoa, I said, yeah, Ooh. I said, I can, I can listen to that. Uh, went off in those days to what was called a plant interview and drove down from, uh, you know, from New York city to what was Holmdale, New Jersey, not too far we were from Middletown, got off the Garden State Parkway. And I felt like I was in farmland. I mean, this was the sticks, uh, to me and in many ways, it's not too different today. If you do have occasion to come, you know, to come here. Uh, and made a turn and drove down to the road and there was this tower that was coming out of nowhere. And I was later to find out it was modeled after a transistor. It was the water tower that would supply water to the Bell Labs complex in Ogdale. Uh, and that complex was just this beautiful building, uh, which was designed by Serenad, who also did major architectural you know, things like, uh, you know, you know, like the TWA terminal in the Great Arch in St. Louis, he designed this building and you walked into it and you looked around, it's just, just amazing. And, uh, how the interviews were set up at Bell Labs at the time you got to talk to four different organizations. And the first organization I got to talk to was an organization called Mobile Systems Engineering. And, and the interview in those days were a lot different than today. You were put through tests, you weren't put through having to you know, design something on the spot. It was, it was a conversation to me was probably a lot refreshing as opposed to what we do today. Uh, and, and I spoke to all the people there and when I got done, the last person I spoke to a gentleman by name, Joel Engel, uh, who said to me, now you let talk to three other organizations and left this subliminal message in my head, but nowhere will you ever get the opportunity to work on something brand new, something that doesn't exist today. And he held up a book, which I can't find my copy of it was the technical report that AT&T presented to the FCC and what they would do if they were given the opportunity to create a new cellular communication system. He said, this doesn't exist. And if you join us, you'll have the opportunity to work on this. One day. Wow. So, wow. so you joined. You yes. had that privilege. You took that opportunity. You came on board. Did you start working on this project immediately or like right out of college uh, or what did it take a couple of years till you got embedded in it? No, I mean, how it worked then and how it works today. You, yeah, you walk in the door as I did, uh, in the end of July, 1972, and you're right into doing something. And the opportunity I was given, uh, in school was to work with AT&T marketing on doing a market survey of the opportunity for selling applications. So I could apply some of my statistical background and looking at data and working with this company. And they did 
uh, and this is like 1973 by the time we got guy out there, very professional survey, uh, survey questions went out. There were focus groups and major markets. And I got to sit on the other side of the glass and listen to customers and talk about what they might do with it. And, uh, the conclusion from that survey was there was really no market for such a survey. This was 1973, no market for such a survey, for such a service. Amazing. I mean, and, and not necessarily shocking or surprising because when you come out with something entirely new, entirely different, you have to invent the market, right? You yes. have to, yes. you have to show what is possible right. and you have to say, people have to say, oh, interesting. I didn't know I wanted that. In fact, I didn't want that until I understood what it was. So you're in a big organization, you're in a massive organization that basically, um, preeminent in its day, they have this new idea, this new technology, but the market surveys aren't promising. They aren't saying, wow, this is a multi-billion dollar opportunity. Jump on it right now. How did it actually start? Did somebody take a big risk? Um, simple answer is yes. Uh, but at the time we were this very large company called the bell system. Uh, you know, a million employees strong and, and there were pockets of revenue to invest. That was, that was, that was the great thing. If you look back over the history of Bell Labs and, and a lot of, you know, and if you think about it, if there, that didn't exist, a lot of the technologies, if you think about the digital and wireless age was invented by AT&T Bell Laboratories. It, it, it led to the transistor, to digitization, information theory solar panels, charge couples, devices, and cellular technology. All those were invented by Bell Labs and, and all of those were invented in New Jersey. Amazing. And, and so you know, there was this thought, what would need to be done as investment for put in place? You know, think of the transistor, the transistor, which is the basis of everything. Millions of transistors in this device today, but that technology that was created by AT&T was given to the larger industry to build on and use. Think about what was the big first thing transistors were used for? Transistor radios that came out in the late 50s. Yeah. Okay. So you're working there. You're bringing out this technology. You're about to launch it. Um, David is unaware at this point, but, but you know, you're starting to work with the network and the installers and everything like that. Talk about the technology. Um, you, what, what, what kind of, I came on to using a mobile phone when we had 3G. Um, right. and, and, you know, then, then LTE was, was a big, big deal, right? Uh, which is essentially 4G, I believe. And now 5G is the thing, right? So, so give us a sense of where the technology fits on that scale. So. Yeah, so I go back to what David and I talked about, the concept of one big transistor. The big underlying concept of cellular was to be able to use low power transistors and take the frequency. Frequency spectrum is a scarce commodity. It's a scarce commodity back in those days, scarce commodity today. And, but able to reuse that many, many times. If you're broadcasting at low, you know, at, you know, at low power, you can re reuse that. And that's the whole basis of cellular technology. And this concept was brought forth by two people, uh, Doug Ring and W. Ray Young back in the forties. They actually wrote a paper, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, that talked about this and 
Ray Young actually became my first department daily fellow when I started, but he went back to the forties with some problems. So you have this concept and how do you implement this concept? And back in those days, we had, you know, cell sites, we called them base stations, we were playing cell sites to, you know, to provide the signal. You needed a smart controller, a central controller. And Bell Labs had invented electronic switching, came out in the sixties to be able to have stored program controls, you know, you know, control switching machine. And the other element of it was a device with cords. But one of the big deal things that just happened as I joined, talk about enabling technologies is the microcomputer was born by Intel. Without that, none of this would have been possible because that was the enabling technology, the game changer that made us possible to develop and deploy the system. Talk a little more detail over what the innovation was in cellular networks that uh, we heard David talk about. Uh, he had a radio telephone and you said, hey, you know, you could get like 10 or 12 conversations going at the same time. And then you were out of spectrum. Um, but you're, you're out of bandwidth. Uh, what was the key innovation in cellular technology? You mentioned the low power. So you're, it's low power, it's local. You're talking to a local cell tower. So somebody else could be maybe on the same frequency, but, uh, five miles down the road, 10 miles down the road, they're talking to a different tower. Was that the only innovation or were there other innovations well, that allowed thousands, millions to use phones? So related to that is think about it, it was a vehicular service that would begin. And as cars drove around the city, uh, you had to track where those cars were and to be able to recognize that they were driving at an area that they were in and needed to be served by a cell site from a, you know, from another cell site. This is the concept called in, and they are from one cell site to another. And the ability to do that, to track that, to see the signal, to look at the algorithms by which you're going to tell of, you know, this vehicle, you know, this device sitting in someone's vehicle to switch from one channel to another channel. That was a huge innovation and all the, and, and, and part of it has to do with the distributed nature. And one of the things I got to work on very early is all these things, you know, or, or coming out is the distribution among different elements of the system from the switch mm -hmm. to the cell site mm -hmm. and to the mobile controller and how to optimize that in the best way. So it, it would support this growth. So landline phones were analog. Um, the signal was, you know, uh, transmitted as analog and, and, and recreated as sound in somebody else's ear. Were the first cell phones digital? Did you send the voice digitally? No, no, because again, you know, let's sort of roll back but seventies, just based you know, upon what you said, it, it was analog books and, but behind that was a whole digital logic call processing that went through with commands coming from, uh, the switch coming from the cell site to direct the mobile, what to do. So you had this, you know, voice analog and you had the control structure, which was all digital. Is that control structure what opened the door for SMS for texting? Um, it's we're talking, we're talking many years later. 
<laughs> we're talking many years later. So, so I'm, I, I'm not sure I would say that. Yeah, it was that basis, but you know, by the time texting came around, I think we went to 3G, uh, yes. that way it came okay. around and lots of changes from 1G to 2G to 3G. So, uh, that, that was all, all brand. Would you have characterized the transmission speeds or the transmission technology in the first days that David had his uh, cellular car phone as 1G? Yes, it, it was. Okay. It was 1G. And, but the quality of it, the voice quality, because we're talking about someone's and someone's view for the high power transmitter you know, in the problem, it was exceptional. It was interesting. It, it, it was as good. Well, you know, you know, David can, you know, can provide the feedback was, on this. It was good as, as, as a landline. It was crystal clear. It was excellent. Wow. So it was better in some ways than what we have now. I mean, certainly in the days of 3G, voice quality wasn't amazing. Uh, maybe 4G as well. Huh. Well, you That's see, interesting. And, and we knew it at the time because, you know, think about it. Uh, this is a low power. This is low power. And mm -hmm. you just could not get the same quality that you could with a high power transmitter so much bar and, and yeah. a similar receiver. Yeah. Yeah. So David, you were in at the very beginning of a revolution. Uh, did you keep upgrading? Um, did you stay on the cutting edge and, and you still have that phone today, right? You still own that f first phone. Yeah, I, I, I actually. Um, there was an event, I think it's about 10 years after 1983, after that, well, after that went on, um, and my apologies. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Everybody. Phone, will. what you do? Let me, <laughs> the, it's a new phone system too. I got to find how to. I think if you hit it with yeah. a hammer, then it will yeah. stop. <laughs> that's, that's a necessary <laughs> device. Those darn landlines. <laughs> Anyways. Um, about 10 years after the, uh, cell phone, uh, started being used commercially in 1983, they went to the digital and they had an event, uh, to go to digital and, uh, they dragged me out for this, uh, next event. And I, I actually consigned my phone as a donation to the museum of science and industry, but I still have a car that I, that the phone was, a phone call was made in. Uh, but the equipment is now at the Museum of Science and, uh, and Industry in Chicago. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. What was the car, by the way? Uh, it was a 1983 Mercedes-Benz 380SL. One the car to run around in now. Not as Nine. easy to get it into as when I... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you may have been a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. David, if, as you look back... Um, so you, you talked about at the time, you didn't have the sense that this was revolutionary, that you were the first person to make a cellular phone call, that, that this would take over the planet, like literally. Uh, but as you look back and, and, and as you use your mobile phone today, um, what's it mean to you? I think it's amazing how it started, what the average person thought about it and the different, I'll call them milestones as, you know, for the user and it, and whereas it was a, an instrument for business basically only or the wealthy, it, it has over the years progressed to, you know, bag phones, the brick phone, the, the, uh, 
uh, then a handheld cell phone, flip phones, and then all of a sudden they became smartphones. And the actual phone call part of a telephone is not necessarily the most important piece. It's that everybody's glued to their smartphone and it's able to be bought by everybody in the world. It, uh, it does not have to be um, only for the business or the people who can afford it. Everybody can afford a cell phone and they use them like crazy, right? Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Stuart, maybe some closing remarks from you because uh, you're still working at AT&T. Uh, amazingly, I, I'm not going to ask your age, um, but you're, you're, you're no spring chicken. This has been the work of your life, um, in, in a lot of sense. And I'm sure you've done a million other things as well, but this, is this the biggest thing that you've done in your career is, 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 is launch this and being part of this? Uh, most definitely. So talking about first cell phones, this was one of the very first cellular phones that existed. This was the control year that went into those vehicles. I've had this with me all of these years and it, it, it really was to come out of school. You know, a lot of people don't have this opportunity to come out of school and back to what I said earlier to work on something brand new that didn't exist, that people questioned the market for. And then here we are today, the proliferation that's occurred with, you know, with the, with going from here to here. I mean, you know, sort of what a huge transition, what a huge transition. And yes, I, I've got to work on lots of exciting things, uh, you know, in my career from there to personal computers, to lands and lands and today involved with, uh, you know, with, as we look at our network, as, uh, yeah, as we visualize, virtualize our network and, you know, working on, you know, today tools to improve how we develop software platform engineering, but, and, and even it got to work on one of the first internet banking applications, but there, there would be nothing like I got to work on my first 10 years with help. Amazing. Um, and, um, what a privilege as you were told by your advisor, your student advisor way back when in the early 1970s. And I have to echo that today. Uh, what a privilege to chat with you, David. Um, and what a privilege to chat with you, Stuart. I thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your story. It's fascinating. It's part of history. Um, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to see thank you, you, David. Thank me. you. Thank you. Good to see you.